You'll turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. My name is Rusty Milton. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to open God's Word with you. This morning, and we're going to talk about uh, mercy. And I, I just have to confess, I, 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 am, I struggle with mercy. I'm, I am a man who deeply struggles with mercy and compassion. And so I, 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 I need the Lord to do that kind of work in, in my life. And, um, and what I've seen here in this text is it is a display of mercy from God's people that transforms people's lives. As they see and behold that God is merciful to them. So let's just read 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17 to 24. As Elijah has been brought from the wilderness now to Sidon to live with a widow that God directed him to in Providence like we talked about last time, starting at verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. If you would, please pray with me. Father, we know that you are... You don't just perform and do mercy. You are a God of mercy. Mercy is part of who you are, Lord. And we want to be a people who, who know that you deal with us in mercy and then display remarkable mercy in our relationships, in our marriages, in our work environment our children, that people would see and behold the glory of your mercy through our mercy. Teach us now, O oh God, take your word and work deeply in our lives. For those here who believe that God is not merciful to them, but he is a God of rigor and law only, God, display the glory of your mercy. Father, for those here, like my own heart, who struggle with mercy and compassion, Lord, work that in us by the Spirit. Father, and most of all, let us see the mercy of Jesus. We might love him more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt that you have done so much for someone only to be deeply hurt or deeply wronged by them? And in that situation, isn't it? 
remarkably hard to be merciful. John and Charles Wesley, two of my, two of my heroes who founded the Methodist Church, they, they almost, two brothers, they almost parted ways in 1749. You see, John intended to marry a godly woman by the name of Grace Murray. And he, he entered into this, it, it wasn't an engagement, but it was an understanding that they would be married. When his brother Charles found out about it, he was angered because he felt like, well, she's not educated or sophisticated enough for him. He, in the long run, will not be happy with her, and she's not capable of leading the Methodist movement. And so he quickly went to Newcastle, where she lived, to meet with her. And when he was there, one of their good friends, a man named George Whitfield, the, the evangelist, met him. And Whitfield said to him, what you're doing is wrong. Charles Wesley wouldn't listen, and he pleaded and pleaded, yet Charles was determined. He took Mrs. Murray and a young man named Mr. Bennett, who they had a previous relationship, and he married them. Shortly after, John heard what was happening, and he left for Newcastle in desperation, hoping that he was not too late. But he was too late because the marriage had already happened. The one woman that he had truly loved was taken from him by his brother's hands. He was brokenhearted. And this is what he wrote in his diary. Mr. Whitfield wept and he prayed over me. My brother came and I felt no anger towards him. I would. <laughs> he showed his brother remarkable mercy, and the two continued to minister together for the rest of their days. We see something similar to that in 1 Kings 17. Here we find the widow of Zarephath who has been also shown amazing grace from God and from Elijah, who... There she was preparing to die, going out to pick up sticks to make the last little bit of meal she had and oil into a simple cake to feed her son and then die. And God brought Elijah from his own people to a widow, saved her, provided food and oil for her all the days of the drought. And then she says when her son dies, why did you bring this upon me? And what she's saying to him, the very man that was the cause of her survival and her son's survival, you're the source of my son's death. You killed him. And his response to this woman that he's been living with for several years now is nothing but mercy. He doesn't fight back and say, you're just an idol worshiper from Bellsville and you don't know what in the world you're talking about. Or, do you know what I have done for you? You should have already been dead if it wasn't for me. I am your Savior. Nor does he say, do you know who I am? By my word, this drought will be over. You be careful what you say to me. I want to ask you, 
when you are insulted, when you're betrayed, when you're rejected, is your response representative of the living God? In other words, do people see Christ in your response? Or maybe it's punitive that you want a pound of flesh. Maybe it's harsh that you want to hurt someone for hurting you. Maybe it's prideful where you cut off the relationship and you withdraw deep. Ephesians 2, 4 says this to us. God being rich in mercy. Listen, my friends, God delights in mercy. It, it is who he is. In other words, he didn't just do mercy. He is a God of mercy. Great love fills his heart for his people. And the overflow and the display of that love towards us is mercy. So here's the main idea today. Mercy changes people. That, that's it. Mercy changes people. And I, and I would say when you begin to understand how merciful your God is towards you, it changes your heart for him. You want to love him. You want to obey him. You want to worship him. And on the flip side, when people see God's mercy through you, you treat them in a merciful way, it changes their life. So let's jump into this story. Watch as we go how Elijah's mercy changes the widow's heart. Here's point one. The widow's accusation. Look in your Bible at verse 17 and 18 with me. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, she became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. You can stop there. Notice, it, it seems like that she probably had just had one child. I, I don't know that 100%, but that seems to be the case. She'd already lost her husband, maybe to the drought, to the famine, maybe war. Who knows? We don't know. But to lose one to death in your household is very hard. And now... The only one she has left standing with her, he's died as well. And, and think about that. Just stop right here with me. How many hopes for her are lost in this child? She lived in a day where there's no social security, there's no retirement, there are no 401ks, there are no benefits. They're your children. That's what you've got. So all her future security as a widow would be that he would provide for her. She is devastated in so many fronts, relationally, her future. And she takes all that, and then she turns on Elijah, and she discerns that he is the cause. Look in your Bible. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. You can hear her anger, right? That... I thought you came to save us from death. But instead, you have revealed my sins to God, and now he is punishing me for my sins by killing my son. Now, why would she say this? Well, it's because she must know 
that God would, was punishing Israel for their sins with a drought, and he did that through Elijah. She's putting the pieces together, and so she says, now God is punishing me for my sins and doing it through Elijah as well. She reasoned, God is a God, this, this God of Israel is a God that punishes sin. He's come into my home. This prophet knows my sins, and now he is punishing my sin by taking my son's life. You see that? In other words, she's saying, what God did to Israel with his punishment for sin, he's doing to me now through Elijah. Now, how would you feel? Put yourself in Elijah's place. How would you feel? There's a drought so bad that people are dying all through the land. And God sends this prophet to a widow who worships another god. He shows her unbelievable grace and mercy. He puts food on her table every day. Literally, you have saved her and her son. Now, now this is so remarkable, this event in Jewish history, that in Luke 4, when Jesus is predicting his own rejection to the Pharisees, he says, remember, there were lots of widows in Israel during the three-and-a-half-year famine, and God sent Elijah to care for none of them, but sent him to have mercy on only one widow in Sidon, a pagan woman. When the Pharisees hear this, they are so angry, they drive him out of the church, out of the synagogue. Because it angered the Pharisees that God would have such mercy and grace on a Gentile. And now this woman who has been shown such mercy and grace, now she doubts the very goodness of God and she accuses Elijah of murdering her son because of her sin. Let me ask you, do you ever do that? Do you ever judge God's goodness based upon your circumstances? That's what she's doing. So that God is always on trial in your life. If a car stops inches away from your son or daughter, you say, God is good and I'm going to worship him. But if a close relative dies of COVID, we say, how is God good? He's on trial. Or Sometimes we can become a bargainer with God. God, I will know you are good and I will worship you if you will heal my mother from her cancer. And the gospel tells you two amazing truths that help us navigate tragedy and take God off of trial. First is this. You live in a broken world, fallen world. And the story of the Bible begins with the curse of sin entering into God's paradise. The curse is a reversal of the blessings of God. So that eternal life was lost. God's presence with us was removed in the garden. And the paradise of the garden is now broken. It's unsafe and it's full of pain. People, presence, paradise, all experience the pain and the misery of sin in the fall. And that is the world that we live in. Christian and non-Christian, it affects all of us. Second, Christ and the gospel message is God's plan of rescue. It is his mercy. Eternal life is restored in Christ. His presence is restored as the Holy Spirit 
comes and dwells in us. And he will restore paradise again when he comes. And that is the role of the church to be small restorations of that now. So know this. If you are a believer, God's chosen you just like the widow. He has saved you just like the widow. You are an object of grace and mercy to him. Because of Jesus, he should never be on trial in your life. He is good. Dane Ortland says it like this. If God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valley on your way to heaven. His mercy towards you means the things about you that make you cringe most make you make him hug you the hardest. Let's go to point two. Point two. Notice Elijah's response. Verse 19, if you look in your Bibles with me. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and he carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his bed and cried to the Lord oh Lord my God have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord oh Lord my God let this child's life come into him again you can stop there notice he says give me your son mercy He takes the dead boy upstairs into his arms. You can see the picture. He takes her, this child, out of this woman's arms. Surely she is weeping and in the deepest angst and tragedy is upon her. And he takes her upstairs to his chamber. And there, notice what he does. He says, oh Lord, my God, have you brought this calamity? He's saying, God, is she right? Is she correct? And then he prays. Let this child's life come into him again. Three times he stretched out over the dead body so that by Elijah's word, the drought would end and life would come back to the land. And so by the power and through his word, God would bring life back to this child's body. Notice, he harbors no bitterness. In compassion, he shows her nothing but mercy. There was a Zulu chief whose wife was converted years ago to Christianity. He found out about it and he warned her. He said, don't don't go anymore. Reject Jesus and leave him. The next morning, the Zulu chief's wife was gone and he knew she'd risen early and she'd gone to church. And so the Zulu chief goes to the small meeting and he grabs the woman and he takes her and he drags her out to the edge of town And then he beats her to the point where she's almost at death. He leaves her thinking that she will surely be dead. He goes home. He comes back that night. And she is dying and almost dead, close to her last breath. And he looks her in the eye and he says, What has your Jesus done for you now? And she looks up to him and she says, He enables me to forgive you. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. 
It is a very difficult to harbor no bitterness when we have been wronged. Every relationship you're in is strained by the battle of sin, right? We wound each other and are wounded by others. And the only thing that heals these wounds is mercy and forgiveness, forgiving the way Christ forgives us. The last thing I want to say about this, forgiveness does not mean you have to trust that person again and put yourself in a position to be hurt by them again. So you can forgive someone and yet think it not wise to put yourself in a position to be hurt by them again. Elijah can show mercy and forgiveness, and yet maybe he needs to find another place to live. <laughs> Let's go to the third thing, last thing. Mercy changes people. Notice the effect of his mercy, verse 22 to 24. If you look in your Bibles with me. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. The Lord answered prayer. The life of the child came back. Elijah then took this child downstairs, presented him to the mother and says, look, your son is alive. And notice her response. Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. God has gone from a punisher of her sins to someone who speaks truth to her. She will listen now. Elijah has gone from being a deceiver to a man of God. And notice this. Non-believing people and the nations are not just drawn to the mercy of God. They are drawn to the mercy of God shown through you in his people in you displayed through you what i mean is christian disciple of jesus when you are wronged when you are gossiped about when you are criticized let your response represent the living god show mercy grace and forgiveness and then like elijah pray for them committing them and the situation into the lord's hands lastly where does that ability come from? Because when I examine my own heart, mercy's just not there. I, I, I need a supernatural infusion of mercy in my heart to show it. Consider this. God's heart is full of love for his people, right? And mercy is the display of that love. It is the overflow. It is the effect of that love. So in your life, it works the same. You will show no mercy to others if your heart is not experiencing and is not full of the love of the Father. Mercy flows out of your life in every direction when the Spirit has filled you with the depth of the love of the Father. So the very nature of the love of Christ in you will compel you to consider others, to move you to actions of mercy. Okay, Rusty, I get what you're saying. How then do I grow in love on the inside so that mercy can be displayed towards people? Edith Schaefer. Let me tell you what Edith says. The question is asked, she says, how can I experience love for God? Yes, that's the question, Edith. She, tell me. 
she says. The great command tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your souls, your mind. Your mind. Love God with all your mind. Love will grow as reasons for love are discovered, thought about, dwelt upon in the mind, expressed verbally and remembered. Edith is saying, get to know God more through his word. And as you do, you will discover so many more reasons to love him. And as your heart is filled with love for him, the overflow, what will come out of your life, is mercy towards other people. Father, we want to be a, a merciful people. I want to know your love, your mercy, and your grace for me. And I pray that for every believer in this room, that we would be in awe of your mercy, your grace, your love. Because the widow's story is my story. It is every believer in this room's story, Lord. You came to us. We were Gentiles. We were lost. We were picking up sticks, you might say. And you... You saved us. You gave us spiritual food to sustain us, which is Jesus, Lord. And you are good to us each and every day. Lord, help us to know more of that, discover more of that in our life. And on the flip side, God, I pray that we would be a people who are not vindictive, who are not harsh, who are not critical, who are not gossiping. Father, we'd be a people who show and display mercy, grace, forgiveness in a way that people see your character. Oh God, give us the grace and the ability to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.